welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for actually responding to my very public invitation for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I mean, I usually, I can't respond to all my DMs, but I responded to yours, which is, here we are. (laughs) I feel so privileged because honestly, to anybody listening who A, is actively dating or B, likes a meme or both, you have to check out Sarah's Instagram because I cannot explain how obsessed I am with your memes. And you're like a little celebrity between me and some of my friends. And then when I posted and you said, oh, okay, cool, I'll come on. I was like to one of my friends, oh my God, OMG, Sarah's coming on the podcast. I couldn't say no. I love it. I love it. So, well, actually, I thought we'd start by just hearing a little bit of how you created the the page. I know that you run main it from Twitter and then you like have gone to Instagram from there but I would love to hear how it happened for you how it happened that you have this amazing Instagram following sure so I've been a writer for a very long time despite just only being in my mere 30s and I've been just kind of documenting my life on the internet for since the days of live journal and tumblr and you know eventually spent a little more time investing in humor writing and really have you know kind of made a name for myself in the satire humor world from like a mcsweeney's and new yorker point of view and you know i was getting a lot of readers and new followers from those pieces and also just like for years just throwing out my one-liners on twitter and they, you know, kind of falling on like deaf ears, like Twitter's just like a, like a black void, you know, if it doesn't, if someone doesn't see it immediately, it just disappears forever. And so I was taking a lot of that content and, and making it into longer pieces. But in the meantime, I was like, I would love to have more eyes on this. And, you know, I think it's very funny and very millennial to screenshot a tweet and post it on a different social platform. It's still a very funny concept to me, but it was a catalyst for getting more eyes on my work and and mostly just like finding, you know, more people to relate to what I was talking about. And more so than any time I was like posting those tweets to Instagram, during the pan- like the beginning of the pandemic is really when you know everybody was like glued to their phones more than ever and i was dating in a new way which was not at all and <laughs> you know there was just like so much content that he said more so than you know the same dating you know diatribes that we usually deal with or talk about and and at that point it was like early early 2020 when people, I mean, I was ending up on a lot of meme pages and it just kind of spiraled into, I mean, they just, the followers just kept coming and I kept churning out content and, you know, I've just tried to find, tried to find a happy medium between not just being somebody, I'm not, I'm not somebody who just screenshots their tweets. Like I'm a, I'm a real writer. (laughs) This is just like a little snippet of my life. And it's really cool to see how many people have related to it. And, you know, just from a humor point of view, like I write seriously about certain topics, but I also think there is nothing better than like just basking in the comical glory of dating life. So Yep. Well, actually, funny that you say that and you mentioned that you are a serious writer, even though obviously most people who 
just stumble across you obviously come across these funny memes related to dating but the reason I actually invited you on the podcast not because I don't think you're absolutely hilarious because I obviously do but was because I read I, I read your pieces and I've been reading them for a while and one of the pieces that you'd written just really struck a chord with me I think it was one that you'd written around the time of your birthday talking about you know potentially being an aunt or a mother and all the uh, questions surrounding that about being in your 30s and motherhood and I read that and I was like wow I have to invite you on because I think it's just a really really important topic so sharing your memes forever but that article was what for me I think really really resonated and I know it's going to resonate with my audience yeah it was definitely something it was a very vulnerable piece and I think I, I wrote it more so because a lot of people think potential motherhood is very like black and white. Like when I'm, when you're swiping through dating apps, you know, up until, up until a certain point, I've been looking specifically for men who say like, don't have kids, but want them. And that's how I, I felt like I don't have kids, but like, I, I want them, but it, you know, I was learning to battle if that's a deal breaker or not. And I realized that there's so many people in that in-between zone where once you get up there in your thirties for women, it's kind of like a make or break. Like you, there's a point when you literally can't make children any longer. And of course, my piece talks about all of the alternatives, of course, but you know, doing it quote unquote naturally with somebody that you organically met and fell in love with and then made a child with. And we don't, we don't talk enough about how like you can go to bed every night and be like, should I be trying harder to make motherhood happen? And then like wake up and be like, no, like I, I love my life how it is. Like I'm okay without children. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like it's a very, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge thing to think about. And especially now more than ever about bringing children into this world and in what capacity. And, you know, I, 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 it, it also resonated with a lot of people. And I was, I was really happy to share that point of view. I think it's just such an important thing to give a voice to because I think single women in a way feel sh sh ashamed to talk about it. I'm 35, I'm single, I'm also debating motherhood, also started the process of egg freezing, sitting on the fence about whether to go through with it, when to go through with it, if, it, if it's something to wait one more year, you know, all of these big questions, even starting to think about, okay, in five years time, if I hadn't met that partner and done things in the more traditional way, would I think of alternative ways to bring a child into the world? And yeah, I think there's no answers and it's such an individual topic for everyone. But for me personally, and I'm in this world, you know, I'm a coach and I'm creating content and a thought leader as a woman in my thirties, people aren't talking about it enough. There's not, I've not heard many conversations about it, which is why when I read your article, it really like struck a chord because I think it is important. And, and I think it's interesting to talk about this in relation to dating in relation to what the truth is, what it's really truthfully like to go out onto the apps, into the dating world, knowing that you would like to at some point consider becoming a mother. And how, how do you date? How do you date with that hanging over you in a confident, relaxed, you know, easy breezy cover girl? I just want to meet someone and have some fun. But by the way, also, I've got four years left until I can have a baby. So how? I mean, I know that you probably don't necessarily know the answer, but let's open the conversation. I, I think if I've learned anything in the last couple of years, it's I am very upfront at this point in my life with like what I want and what I need and what I'm looking for. And it is the reason that I'm 
potential, like it's one of the many reasons that I'm happily single. It's because I'm not going to settle for somebody who's like, I don't know, maybe I want kids. Like I haven't, you know, I, I, I need somebody who's also, even though I'm debating the topic in my head, like I need somebody that I can have that dialogue with. And I need somebody who's not afraid to talk about it. Like from the get go, I know we talk about like for years, it's, there's so many things that are taboo to bring up on a first date politics, religion, sex life, dating history, like future procreation plans. Like those are all the things I want to talk about on a first date. Like I know some of them are heavier than others, but like they're very important topics. And as we get older, life gets shorter. And like, I'm not going to waste time with somebody who doesn't at least check those like deal breaker boxes of one being open to like, first of all, being open to that conversation and not being like, wow, that's weird. She's bringing that up. Like to me, that's a whole different like level of human man that is willing to engage in those conversations. And that to me says they're on the same page automatically. Like if, if it's a debate for them also, like, let's talk about it. This is perfectly a perfectly normal human experience. And if you're potentially going to spend your life with somebody it's a good starting point. And I know we, I, I think I mentioned too that the last thing we don't talk enough about, like you mentioned, there's a, a level of shame in, that some women feel in their 30s or 40s where they're like, I wanted kids, but like it hasn't happened for me yet. And to me, that was, that was what was holding me back for a long time. I was like, what if people are like, oh, that's so sad. She like wanted a child, but it didn't happen for her. Like, I never want anyone to feel sorry for me in any capacity. Like, I have made a very, like a purposeful life to do things that I enjoy and do things that I, you know, I am enjoying from the start. And if that isn't, if kids ultimately don't fall into the way that I've been living my life, which is happily and without concern of timelines, then so be it. But to be in that position to, to have that debate in my head is also, I understand, not for everybody, because there are so many women that are like, I want children. And that seems really, I, I do feel for them. And I had to get to a place where I was like, if it doesn't happen for me, I'm okay with that. And that took a lot. And when you got to that place, when you got to that place in your head where, just like you said, you're like, okay, I'm living my life. I'm happy. I'm good. If it happens, it happens. If not, it's not. Did it change the way you dated? Did something shift in the way that you showed up in the dating world? I think it did. And I got a therapist for the first time last year, which was long overdue, I'll be honest. And, you know, she she ultimately wasn't a good fit for me, but we did have some pretty good discussions. But she was a little harsh in the sense when she would ask me like, you know, my mom's single and I'm her only, her only child. And, you know, she's sick right now and I've been taking care of her a lot. And, you know, this therapist was like, are you going to feel left out if you're like single and alone in your sixties and seventies and you have no one to take care of you? And I was like, okay, first of all, rude. And second of all, I was like, life is too short to like be having FOMO in my sixties or seventies. So I, after having those therapy sessions and kind of like rationalizing my own thought about how I feel about children because she was aggressively like children you know she was very pro like she thinks everyone should have them I was like that's a privilege to say anyways yeah that that didn't work out but but through those conversations I realized I needed to 
be a little smarter in how I approached who I was like swiping right on. And, and from that came that piece that I wrote. And that's how I do a lot of my like rationalizing and like, I can't really fully process things sometimes until I write about them. And, and in writing that, like I didn't go into it saying, I'm okay either way, but through writing it, that's how it concluded. Like if I'm Aunt Sarah forever, I'm okay with that. And if I'm a mom and Aunt Sarah, that's cool too. And it all goes back to like writing being the best form of therapy right after actual therapy, I'm sure. But yeah, it took a while to get to and it, it changed the way I date in the sense where if someone says they don't want kids, I'm, I'm open to swiping right on them now. And dating like single dads, <laughs> which I had before, but I'm like more open than ever to that, even though... I'm not sure that that's the path for me either, being like a stepmom, but I could be missing out on somebody that like really is potentially the love of my life because I put so many factors into play. Yeah. It's so interesting. I've also been on this journey of thinking about the, do I want to date, you know, men who have got kids already or, you know, the divorce label and then the the children able to do the stepmom thing. And it's actually something that only recently in the past that few months, maybe the past year, have I been open to it? And it's something of like, I don't know, it feels a bit judgmental in a way to like come and be like, oh, I'm just going to swipe left on every single person because I feel like the older I get and the more I understand like my journey is different to others. I can therefore see that these these men who are showing up, they also have different journeys. However, being a stepmom, not really sure about that to be honest. <laughs> well, I feel fully the same way. But I I, I recently, uh, it was a couple months, it was the end of 2021. I, a man had slid into my DMs, which they tend to do. And, and, you know, every now and then somebody says like the right thing and their profile picture is cute. And I'm like, everything adds up. So I'll respond. And this guy, I, I had realized almost, in, he was like, I've seen you on Tinder. And I was like, I've seen everyone on Tinder. And I'm surprised. And he's like, you know, I was hoping we matched and, and he, I was like, send me your profile. And I remember seeing his profile and he had two kids and two cats. And I was like, absolutely not shut it down. So I left, but we like had that we were chatting in the DMS for a while. And you know, he just had a really good vibe and attitude and we met for a drink and it was wonderful. He was an absolutely wonderful person. And I was like, here I am like swiping left on people for the not, you know, it's okay. If you're, if you're like, if you can say wholeheartedly, like, I do not want to be responsible for someone else's kids ever in my entire life, that's fine. But being open to that is potentially, especially in your mid to late thirties is it's okay. (laughs) Like it's, it's not something like you said, like it's a new, it's a newer concept that I've worked into um, processing like the potential person I might end up with. Yeah. And the way I see it is that dating is like a field of experiments, it's a field of growth. So I started to say, okay, like actually I've not never dated somebody before who's already a parent. Let me just date, date somebody and see, and see if that's, you know, could be a thing. I still haven't formed my, you know, I've not done all the variables yet. So I've not fully tested the hypothesis. So I'm not exactly sure what I think. I'm still open to it. But I think it's interesting because I think that when you are in your 30s, that's how dating is different in your 20s. Like you kind of come at it at a different angle. And you were mentioning before that one way you think it's different is 
because you have these upfront conversations more that you're more you know open from the get-go on the first dates about what you want and then I'm I'm adding throwing in another thing that's different is that I think that you look at people in a more open-minded way and maybe start to like trial and error things a little bit what else do you think is different about dating in your 30s from dating in your 20s I will say though like a lot of people would, would listen to this and be like well you're your 20s is when you should be like experiment experimenting or experimental dating is like you think in your 20s that's what you're doing because maybe you haven't done a lot of it or like you're less attached to a certain type i don't know i feel like as i've gotten older and in my 30s my specific type has become too specific yeah <laughs> um and i had to i i got there because of all the experimental dating i did experimental sounds but I, I got to where I am in my 30s for this type of person I envisioned because of all of the men that I met in my 20s and early 30s and whoever this person I'm imagining is like an amalgamation of all the best things right and I think we do that naturally is conjure up or envision this person that we're supposed to be with and I will say it all of that 20s experimenting has led to this person who may or may not exist and and I that has held me back in my 30s I think a lot of my my friends make fun of me because I'll send screenshots of my my like dates to them like their you know their tinder profiles and stuff and they're like okay he looks like the last one like what's what's different about him you know <laughs> so that's something I'm still working on is is you know getting out of this clear vision I have of what this person I inevitably end up with looks like and so you know, maybe it's like this up and down, you know, in my 20s, I was experimenting, trying to figure out exactly what it is I want. I got to a place in my 30s where I'm like, this is exactly where I want. And now I'm like, here are some things I need to be a little more open to or, and I, and I think that's a huge, that's a huge difference. And the other thing is, I think when you're dating in your 20s, you have timelines in your head you have like you have the ability to have timelines in your head you you can say at like 28 like i want to be married by 30 because it's feasible like at that point in your life or i want to have like i'm hoping to have kids by my early 30s or and i think in your 30s <laughs> there comes a point where as much as you want to hang on to timelines or think and i i know biologically the, those timelines are in play but I in my 30s have let go of those timelines in every capacity. I, I've never had a rigid like I want to get married by this time, but of course I'm a human. They're in the back of my head, of course. Like marriage and children are always like somewhere in the realm of my future potentially. But letting go of timelines has been the biggest difference for dating in my 30s, and which is kind of opposite because you think in your 30s like it's like all right like it's got to happen or like you're, we're, we're not getting any younger you know this is really interesting for me because for me i feel like it's the opposite way it's like literally the other way around so i feel like you're going to teach me something here because and maybe some of the listeners as well but for me when i was dating in my 20s i just didn't have these high expectations for the timeline so it just felt like i could go on a date and i Obviously, I used to do the thing that most of us do naturally. We have female brains of like, oh, okay, after the third date, I'm imagining my future wedding with this person. I think I did that from like a very young age. But when I was in my 20s, I'm specifically thinking I was, I was single and dating and around 24, 25, 26, I just would not put pressure on it. And because of that, not putting pressure on it, it was way more fun. 
And it was way more like I'd have to worry about those things. And actually, a lot of my friends got married very young. So even when I was 24, 25, they were all starting to get engaged. And even then, I just still knew it wasn't my time yet. And I, I was really relaxed about it. And then I had a long relationship. And when I came out of it and was single in my 30s for the first time, it just was like the opposite. I just couldn't enjoy dating. When I first came out of my relationship two years ago, dating felt like a chore. It felt really, really difficult because of these timelines, because it was like, okay, I'm 33 now. If I want to meet someone, then I have to do it this time and this time and this time. And I'm definitely learning and have learned how to manage that, you know, with the help of life coaching and therapy and all of that, calling in all the troops. But it's still something that I think is really, really hard for me. And I know a lot of my clients struggle with it. So I'd love to know how you've let, managed to let go of the timeline. I have because, you know, ultimately, like, I think we've spent so much time, especially now in our 30s, when we have so much access, well, I'm talking as if everybody's in their 30s, but in modern timelines where you have so much access to dating coaches and life coaches and dating advice, and I'm, I'm going to guess that anybody listening to this who's single is probably following at least 50 different accounts about what to do on a date or how to date or how to get a date or whatever. And I think we're just bombarded with everybody's different expertise, opinion, which is great. And really, I, I think, you know, it's, I know that helps a lot of people and it's helped me in the past, but if I've learned anything, it's that like a lot of the time that information is contradictory. You know, someone will be like, here's how to like make sure you get a husband in, you know, a, a year or less. And then somebody else is like, there are no rules. And I think I ultimately like follow the school of no rules because for so long I've heard even my best friend in, in my, since I was like 20, she was like, be nice to men, have three drinks go home alone. Like those were her rules for like a first date for me. And I was like, I never wanted to follow any of those. I mean, I guess I was occasionally like nice to men, but you know, I'm like, Rally. yeah, like there's in my thirties, I've learned that like, there are no rules and, and doing what feels good and what feels best for me is, is working for me in the sense that I'm not unhappy. It's not working in the sense that I, you know, have 62 husbands lined up at my door waiting to like spend their life with me. So I think I've decided that like dating is going to be something enjoyable that I do. I'm not going to, it's not, I'm not going to let it be a task. I'm not going to let it be a chore because it definitely starts to feel like that, especially newly out of a relationship. And I chose to, one, be better at vetting. I'm at this point, I don't really have bad dates because I will, and I'm not all about like the pen pal back and forth writing for days. You know, like if you, if there's anything about like a conversation you're having with a guy or there's like, he's only got one profile picture or if something feels a little off, it probably is. And there's, there's no, no one's telling you, you need to see it through. And so, you know, at this point, if a guy doesn't have eight full pictures, I can't, if I, you know, I need to find, be able to find him on the internet. I need to have a good dialogue with him, even though I know that doesn't always translate in real life. And that's led to better dates for me, which makes them ultimately more enjoyable. And I think that that's, you know, vetting better, letting go of, I need this person I'm on a date with to be the one. I've let that go. and 
ultimately I know as a writer, I have, I get the privilege of like getting to turn any disappointing or bad experiences into content potentially. But I, you know, I think in my twenties, I was like, date for the story. I'm not, I don't, in my thirties, I'm not doing that anymore. Like we're, I'll say I'm too old to like date for the story. To me, it's a nice side effect of a lot of dates. There's something to be said for every date you go on. There is, you know, something you learn from every date, but I'm not dating for the story at this point, but it is, you know, it's not a bad scenario. If, if the date doesn't go well, or he's not somebody I'm of a second date with, like maybe he said something funny that I could turn into content. So all of those things combined is how I've just learned to, en- like I, en- I enjoy dating. I enjoy the getting ready for a first date process. I enjoy getting to know a new guy. I, the part I dislike the most is the gray area after the first date. Cause to me, date- first dates are pretty black and white. It's kind of like, do you like me? Check yes or no. And and I'm at this point, I think a lot of women, maybe men too, leave first dates and they're like, I think that went well. Or like, I think we were both into each other. And then, you know, they never hear from the person ever again. Like I, you know, within an hour, like we need to be like, or on the date, it's like, are we doing this again? Yes or no. And, and from there, like the second and third date to me, that becomes such a weird gray area. Cause it's like, you know, you want to text them and be like, when can I see you again? Or, you know, you, you want, you have such a script in your head about like how those next few dates are going to go. And when they don't, it's, that's a little disappointing. So I will say that I, I probably invest more time in like the first date experience, which is what's made my dating experience ultimately easier, better, happier. Yeah, this is, I have so many things that I want to say, because I think this is really important Sorry, conversation. <laughs> no, 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 I love it. I was literally, everything you're saying, I'm like, I want to dive into that. I want to go to this. But I think this is a really important conversation that needs to be had between two single women who are in their 30s, who date and enjoy dating. Because it's true. I also, exactly what you're saying, I also enjoy dating but not necessarily the part where it becomes the potential for something it's like I enjoy for me I know this I know lots of people won't resonate with this but I really enjoy meeting new people I love I'm also a writer and I also love hearing I love hearing people's stories so even if I go on a date and I'm with someone I'm like I know this person isn't going to be my future partner what am I going to learn from them and I'm going to hear about their story and their world and it's always it's always great but yeah the second part isn't that fun but I feel like that the dating world has been really warped. And I don't mean to be awful to any of my coaching colleagues who are dating coaches, but by these dating coaches who put this really stringent set of rules. And for anybody who is single and follows any dating coaches will know it's so confusing. One person's telling you, act, play it cool. The men, men like to chase, you know, that's a primitive thing. You have to be standoffish with them, never ever be upfront. Don't tell them that you like them. You've got somebody else saying, be completely yourself. You know, then you've got this whole thing about fem- being in your feminine energy, your masculine energy, you know, do this, don't do this. Oh my God. And it's like, it blows your head off sometimes. But, yeah. Yeah. I think one of my favorite examples is the concept of if he wanted to, he would. And I, I love that. I've always lived by that. It's it's clear classic. He's just not that into you. You know, I mean, this is, it's not new. It's been around for a very long time. And there's so many dating experts that are like, that's not the case. Like sometimes he wants to, he just isn't because of these factors. And it's like, you know, you're just going to have to trust the, I'm afraid that the amount of women, especially that are listening to some of these people are just 
sitting around waiting for a guy to text them when it, it was like done two weeks ago, you know, and everything is so subjective and so unique to every particular guy and particular girl and that the generic dating advice isn't really helpful anymore. There are, of course, you know, I, I, I actually just listened to two TikTok serves me two stories back to back. And I was like, to me, this sums up modern dating in general. And one was about a girl who wrote down everything she wanted in a mate. She manifested her guy. And he, like the next hinge date she went on, they like were instantly like into each other and they got engaged on the third date and they were married six months later. And then the story after that was a girl went on a hinge date with a guy. They had the best first date ever. On the second date, he went to, he was like, let me cook you dinner. And she got violently ill and went to the hospital and they were like, you ate human meat. <gasps> and they, she called the cops and the, and the guy had, it was an, a rented Airbnb and he had like disappeared. So <laughs> I was <laughs> I know two stories like back to back. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, this sums up modern dating in general, because it's like, you want that first story, right? You want that. Like, I want this guy and he shows up and you get married. Like it, it's it. But the, the one I believe more <laughs> is the one. <laughs> the human cannibalism. Yes. To me, that's like somehow so much more realistic and likely than the, than the previous story. Uh, I, have to, I have to say I'm, I'm on board with you. I'm completely, I agree. It's so true. <laughs> but that's how chaotic it is. And that's how, like, and that's what it ultimately comes down to. Like, you should be doing what you enjoy most. And I, I listen, I, you can only know so much about a person, right? Like that person clearly was like, I had the best first date ever. And I'm, I'm comfortable enough to have a second date. And it was clearly the worst thing that could have happened. So you don't ever really fully know a person and that's a whole trust segment. But I just, I think we're, we're, we've overcomplicated dating and I, and it's really infiltrated uh, like the masses. And I think it, it affects how, how a first date goes and, and long after. So ultimately doing what you be, being yourself, I know that's such a cheesy dumb thing to do but like when when my friend was always like it's not a dumb thing to do it's a dumb thing to say because it's so cliche um for my friend to be like you know be super nice to these guys and only have three drinks and go home alone and like none of like being nice okay like I'm gonna be playful that's you know having three drinks like if I want to have a fourth drink I'm gonna have a fourth drink and you know going home alone is I I've I come from the school of like if you're having a good time, why would you stop? <laughs> and that's been a problem for me. So I'm not encouraging that behavior. It's funny because my mom, when I was like a, a teen and just like starting to date and had like a first boyfriend and was probably like 16, 17. So around the age when, you know, a, a good sex combo is bound to happen. And she was like, Sarah, it's hard to say no to things that feel good. And I was like, Ugh, mom, gross. Like, I don't want to hear that. But like, nothing has stuck in my head more because it really is. Like, if you are having a great first date, why would you want it to end? And that has gotten me into some trouble. And so I think, you know, there's something to be said for not necessarily having rules, but maybe having your own personal boundaries like that therapist I had was like maybe you should try one hour coffee dates in the daylight which is the opposite of what I've always been doing which is like eight hour 
cocktail dates in the dark, like ragers, full on ragers with these like bar crawls with these first dates. And, and she's not wrong. Like I, that's part of the experimental thing. Like if, if maybe there is something we could all be trying to do and, and maybe it's taking one of those, like a piece of advice from a dating expert and, and trying it out and, and becoming the dating expert yourself. You know, I think we all ultimately are becoming that in, at this point because we're, we're dating more often because it's easy to swipe and get a date and you know exactly what you just said that I you took the words out of my mouth I was going to say is that the only way unfortunately for people who don't enjoy dating the only way to enjoy dating is to start going on dates it's like that's why going back to this experiment thing is that you need to collect data and you don't know you don't know what you're going to enjoy you don't know if you're going to enjoy a coffee date or an evening date, or, you know, a morning date. I don't know who enjoys those, but you don't know until you start trying. What's really interesting about what you've said, though, is that, you know, I have been dating now for a couple of years, been on a lot of first dates, and vetting, I've still not got the vetting right. And I think that I still do have bad dates. I actually had one of the worst dates I've ever been on, worst first dates I've ever been on, just last week. And I said to myself afterwards, what can I do to vet more? So I'm really impressed and inspired by the fact that you have been, you've, you've, what's the word? You've refined your vetting process. So please, please share it with me because I'm dying to know. <laughs> I've had so many people ask me this because I, I do often say like, uh, one of the first questions I always get is like, tell me about the worst date you've ever had. And I'm always like, first of all, it's flattering that you don't think it was me being like the worst on the date. <laughs> and second of all, like I really haven't had that many bad dates because I have, and I, and I've been trying to pinpoint what it is. And, you know, there's some basics with the profile. And I, if someone's put the effort into the, their profile, there's a higher chance that they're going to put more effort into a date and getting to know you. That's like a pretty easy, like bottom foundation for that. The dialogue that the, the initial dialogue that you have, like I found that guys, I know you on Bumble where you have to message first, it doesn't really count, but on other apps like Tinder, when they message first, another sign of effort and indication that they're interested and like wanting to put forth an effort and how those first exchanges go you know, I know that's a lot of small talk, but if to me, it shouldn't be boring. You know, I, I think a lot of people talk, there's lots of TikToks too about how it's like, Hey, how are you? How was your day? What are you doing today? You know, like that, that you're doing, you're doing dating apps wrong because you can't get to know a person that way. And I, you know, if I do message somebody first, I like to say something curated to their profile or something like a pun, a cheesy ass pun and how they respond to that to me is a, an indication about like how we're going to get along or not get along at all. Like I've had men be like, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm like, and you never will get it. Yeah. Never mind. None of it. <laughs> um, and so from there, I think I do the standard Dave, uh, Seattle graphic designer, NYU, you know, get whatever four small pieces of information their profile provides, I'll put that into Google and just make sure that like this person, I don't know, like even has an old Facebook account where they like have a picture with their mom or something like there to me or like a real LinkedIn page where, 
and I'll never click on I'll never click on a LinkedIn profile because I have like the free version where it shows if I click on it. So I'll have someone else do it, or just to know that they like it shows up in Google results to me is like enough. And I I would say like guys aren't as good at social media, and that's a good thing. So like a guy who only has like 80 followers on Instagram and, and has just posted a picture of like a tree like a dog or like a beer like that's fine but I know that you're you know or I, I the my favorite like trick is to look at the tagged photos on Instagram for sure people forget about that but it yeah. to me that's no, very important it's very important it, sh- it shows if they have friends it usually shows if, what their past relationships have been you know it, it and sometimes when there's like no tag photos I wouldn't necessarily hold that against a guy but I don't know something's a little awry like why wouldn't you have even been tagged in like one group photo from five years ago kind of thing so a lot of those things just have to line and those are not I know that sounded like a lot but but that it's not it's not as time consuming as it sounds it's literally just a quick google search and two two minutes you can do this before you even swipe if you've got the name you know a name just yeah and I will say ultimately of course you cannot know everything about a human until you're sitting face to face with them and having a conversation and even then you know, as we've just learned from that one TikTok I had just explained. But, you know, because it's such a, like, a bleak garbage can of prospects, <laughs> that when when some people get matches, they're just excited to get matches. And I get that. I, I think that's, that's why we're on it, right? But just because you match with someone doesn't mean you should go out with them. And it's like trying on a piece of clothing, like, when something fits me well, but it doesn't like look I'm not gonna buy it just because it fits you know like I other things have to add up and just because you match with someone and you have like a hey how are you I'm good what are you doing today that no that's not enough like it doesn't mean pen pal writing by candlelight you know do you do call phone calls before a first date yeah and and even the pandemic didn't really change that I did a couple FaceTime dates during the pandemic and it was, you know, it's just nothing's better, of course, than than being on a bar stool and and finding out about a person. No, I've I've never done a phone call prior. And here's the other thing: I I under like I've always lived in big cities, so when I'm meeting someone for a drink, I'm probably walking a block. I you know for first dates, I have three go-to bars that are all within a certain radius of my apartment, so. I'm not putting in, I'm, I'm putting in time and effort and I'm going on a date that is effort alone. But I understand that when other people are committing to dates, they're sometimes they live in spaces where they have to drive 20 minutes to even meet someone halfway or, or for, or further, you know, they're not walking, they're not getting in an Uber quickly. Like, like I have always dated in the last like 10 years. So for me, it's, it's easier to be like, let's meet for a drink down the road it doesn't feel like it's um, a huge commitment whereas I understand other people it it might feel that way and I would think because it would feels like a bigger commitment for some people that that would be more important to to take the time to like maybe have a phone call and even like a 10 minute phone call like I understand no millennials especially hate talking on the phone <laughs> you know it's hate, either, hate it hate like either text me like don't call me unless you're on fire and even then like why are you calling me so yeah I, I think whatever works like if you are more comfortable with a phone call do it you should do you should feel so good about going on that first date and if there's any part of you that's like like if you're nervous about like meeting somebody because you're excited about them, that's the best feeling in the world. If you're nervous because you feel like you don't know what you're going to get 
when you show up, do not go. It's, yeah, that, I think there's a, there's boundaries to experimenting. And that doesn't mean you should be pushing yourself so far out of your comfort zone where you potentially feel unsafe. That is not the answer. A hundred percent. I also have another question for you, which maybe you don't know the answer to, or you won't have a thing because you've got good at betting and you have good first dates. But what do you do when you get on a date and a guy sits down next to you and like from the get go, you just know, no, not a match. No, I definitely can't. And, and I, I have a rule, like I said before, that you can learn something from everyone. So just lean into the date, have a nice conversation. It could potentially be a friend or a business contact. Who knows? That's fine. But what happens when you sit next to someone and you are like, oh, I do not want to spend one more minute sitting here with you. Do you cut the date? I am a firm believer you should never stay anywhere you don't want to be for longer than you have to. There is, of course, a level of like politeness, but also I'm, I'm sorry, I'd rather be rude if I'm not enjoying myself and get out of there than stay too long with somebody that like, you know, I think there's a level of like, ooh, I'm not attracted to him versus like, I'm just not enjoying his company or like, he's not what I thought he would be. You know, there, I think there's varying levels of like, how quickly you can get out of there. And I think you, if it's a good business contact, that's one thing, but you're going to know that before you go. If this has potential like networking, you know, you probably know what he does already. So I'm a firm believer that get out of there. You can have, you are allowed to have one drink. You don't even have to have a drink. You can be like, I'm just going to have water because you can already tell the vibes are off and you don't even have to have water. There is nothing. Have you done it? Have you done it where you've sat down and then you've, you've left like immediately? I would say that's never happened. I I think maybe in like my twenties in New York, I probably did that, but that's also because I used to be a bad dater in the sense that I would line up like three dates in a night and show up like lit to all of them. So I've come a long way, (laughs) but I, I, every time I go to, to, I'm like walking to a first date. I'm, pre- I'm prepared to be like, and I think it, like the thing is, you know, I would be absolutely offended if a guy ended a date pretty quickly. And so I know, I know that goes both ways. Like if someone's being rude to you or they look nothing like their profile or they're just disgusting, like that's one thing you can, I think you're entitled to be like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I hope you have a nice day and you can leave. And, and you know, Unfortunately, as women, like, it's kind of scary to do something like that because you men, we know historically men have lashed out in those scenarios. And I do know that, like, if I sat down and I had one drink with a guy and he was like, all right, well, I'm getting tired. I'm going to go. Like, my feelings would be hurt, especially if it was, you know, if you were into them. But also I would respect that he didn't waste any more of my time and we had our one drink he's tired, go on home, you know, and we know that's not going to be a thing. So I, I, it's one thing to be like, I like meeting new people. And it's another to just, it is your time. It is valuable. You've made the choice to like be on this date. And that doesn't mean you committed two hours to a person. So my overarching advice is to get out of there as nicely as you want to be you are not obligated to stay. You don't owe anybody anything. I don't care if this guy drove three hours to see you. You don't owe him shit. Love that. It's something that I need to practice more. I've been really practicing my 
stay for one drink and then oh thanks I need to leave um it's tough but you're right it's so so true and it actually is irrelevant if they've decided to travel that far that's on them it's not it's not on us it's not it's not our you know our problem okay we need to finish but I do have one more question for any of the listeners who are listening who really want to like enjoy dating more because I know a lot of my listeners my followers and my clients struggle to enjoy it probably for some of the reasons we were talking about at the start of those timelines and feeling the pressure and expectations and the, the fantasies that come with eating. What would you say to somebody who is just in a place where they want to just enjoy dates more? I would say first ask yourself, like, are you truly content like in your single life? Like, are you just happy? Are you doing things that you enjoy that don't involve dating in any capacity. Because to me, that's a good base and a foundation for being a good, better, happier dater. I genuinely enjoy the life I've created and the things that I do on my own or with my friends first and foremost. And that to me is most important. So like, if you're having trouble dating or you're not enjoying it, maybe like take a step back and assess life alone for a hot second. And if that's not, if that's, if that, if everything's good there and you're like, I enjoy single life, I want to enjoy dating more. I think the, the level of vetting is great, but don't spend too much time, you know, don't overthink it. Don't go FBI style, you know, and, and really I, more than anything, the manifesting stuff is something I'm a little like, I, I believe in it, but I also think it's, it's kind of cheesy, but I think we've talked so much about like deal breakers and like what's changed from your twenties to your thirties. And I don't think, you know, a lot of us have stopped to assess what has changed and what we want from our twenties to our thirties and, and not just out of life, but from a partner. And I think it, it never hurts to, to sit and write up like what you want and what you're looking for and what you're willing to negotiate on. And like even making the list of the stuff we talked about, like, being more open to single dads or, you know, being more open to somebody with cats (laughs) or, you know, just being open to something that you wouldn't normally be. You're, you're, I think you're going to learn a lot about yourself. And if, and if you're not learning anything about yourself, if you are decidedly like, that's not the path for me, then you know, and you say, okay, I tried it. Like, we to me that's a good dating experience that's not a bad dating experience like that is you are doing things on your terms to figure out like where this person is that you ultimately potentially are supposed to be with um and I think going into it not not asking yourself like you know what if he's the one it just I I had to stop doing that I did that a lot in my 20s I was like the person the people that I'm going on dates with are like are they marriage material like and it, it takes away from the, the fun and enjoyment of getting to know somebody. And if you just go into it and think like, I've, I've done what I needed to do to make sure this person is who they say they are on this first date and I'm excited about it and I, I'm keeping my standards high but my expectations low, you, that's it. There's no way that date can go wrong unless he tries to murder you on the spot, which is... Not impossible. Yeah. So please be careful. (laughs) Always be careful and always be cautious. And, you know, if you're doing all of those things and you're not going down a checklist of, of rules also, and you're just like, I'm going to do 
what feels good and what I think is, is smart for my future with this person, it's, it's hard to go wrong. Don't get me wrong. You can go wrong, <laughs> but it, it is, it makes it more enjoyable. And, and sharing your dating experiences is honestly one of, you know, I think I've been calling it like, cause it's commiserating with other daters, commiserate, commiserating. It looks better. Oh, commiserating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because we all have these experiences, right? Like we all have a crazy date story. We all have like tips and tricks that we do. And, you know, listening to other people doesn't mean you should do what they're doing, but it it is insightful to hear stories. So I think sharing, you know, there's a fine line between sharing your dating experiences and like, I never put, you know, I would, I never call out guys by name. I would never, you know, do something that was harmful to somebody, but it's funny. Dating is ultimately a very funny, comical thing. And you should be laughing about it. And instead of, you know, we, we laugh so we don't cry. But to me, it's, it's the funny dating profiles. That, it's that kind of funny stuff that gets me through any of the stuff that feels like a little tedious. And so learning to laugh about it and make jokes about it and, and share that, that with your friends and other single people is a weird twisted community of people who get it and it and it helps it makes it a little less disappointing when it is yeah and I like to leave it on that note I think it's all about releasing the pressure that's really what it is and once once you release the pressure it can become funny it's when it's so serious all the time that it becomes dramatic and, and unenjoyable you can look for something serious and have it be fun and funny like just because you're dating seriously doesn't mean it can't be a funny experience and all of the above. You can have it all. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And on that note, if for anybody who wants to make dating funny, I have to go and follow Sarah. So can you just tell us where to find you and also where t- we can read your amazing articles? Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at OMG SKR. And if you'd like to read literally everything I've ever written, sarahrunnels.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on. And I've loved this conversation all about dating. And I know all of my listeners will as well. And I'll see everybody on the podcast next week.